Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. You're listening to a special episode of Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. It's Wednesday, August 17th. The Colorado Dream podcast from KUNC shares the stories of Coloradans who are overcoming obstacles to create a better life for themselves and their families in an effort to achieve the American dream. Hosted by Stephanie Daniel, the latest season called Newcomers Welcome explores the black immigrant experience in Colorado as told through the eyes of one African immigrant and Aurora as the city and its residents strive to become an inclusive home for all. This is episode one. One in 10 Colorado residents is an immigrant. And Salwa Mortada Bamba is one of them. She was born in Liberia, West Africa and endured the country's brutal civil war. She was displaced, her sister was murdered, and she literally fled for her life. But during moments of relative calm, she would daydream about coming to the United States. To me, the American dream was just being afforded the opportunity to to come here and attain the highest level of education that I possibly could, um, because it was it was always touted on television to be this place where you can be and, and grow and 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 gain the best at anything, at any dream you wanted to. Her dreams became a reality in 1998 when she arrived alone at JFK International Airport in New York City. A year later, she was settled in Aurora, Colorado, ready to take on her new world. I had all these goals that I would write in my book. I would get a job. I would start school right away. Um, I would graduate school in this amount of time. And I would, I mean, I had everything laid out. But it didn't happen that way. I'm Stephanie Daniel, and this is the Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome from KUNC. Our series explores the Black immigrant experience in Colorado. It's told through the eyes of one African woman and the city of Aurora that's working to become an inclusive home for all. This is episode one, Arrival. In the 2020 census, most of Colorado's population identified themselves as non-Hispanic white. In fact, nearly 68% of responders selected the category. But the Metro Denver area is much more diverse, especially the northeast part where I grew up and now live. It's a short drive for me to get to the city of Aurora, where about one in five residents is foreign-born. It's home to people from all over the world. Over half come from the Americas, mainly Mexico. After that, the largest groups hail from Ethiopia, Vietnam, Korea, El Salvador, and India. Local leaders have embraced these newcomers, creating the state's first integration plan to help them and the city thrive. But is the plan working? Do immigrants and refugees feel at home in Aurora? These are the questions that inspired this season of the Colorado Dream. 
As I started my research, I met Salwa, an immigrant from Liberia. And after long chats and getting to know her, I was compelled to share her story and others who have come to this city to achieve a better life for themselves and their families. Salwa was born on August 5th, 1977 in Monrovia. The port city is the capital of the West African country of Liberia. Her mom, Martha Annette Pata Mortada, is black from Liberia, while her dad, Mahmoud Abdul Latif Mortada, was white from Lebanon. The story goes this way. Apparently my mom was dating a, another Lebanese guy at the time, and he traveled to back to Lebanon, um, and he was trying to correspond with my mom, and he sent the letter through my father. So he was the deliverer of the letter, and that's how they met. And when he saw my mom, he said, okay, this is it. <laughs> Salwa grew up outside the city. Her family lived on five acres of land, and she remembers it was covered with palm trees and colorful flowers. There were also gazebos around the property, a convenience store, and a farm where they grew all the vegetables. My mom was the neck that turned the head, <laughs> so to speak. I see a lot of traits from her in me. She was very calm, collected, but when it was time for her to step up to the plate, she did. Martha was a housewife with a ninth grade education who stopped school to have kids, two boys and two girls. Ahmed was the oldest boy, followed by her daughter, Lila. Then came Salwa and Sammy. To this day, I could tell that she was really smart because when we were younger, she would be the one helping us with homework, math, homework, science, any and every subject she would help us with. Mahmoud was about 20 years older than his wife. He only had a fifth grade education and came from humble beginnings in Lebanon. And he was a short little, maybe five, six Lebanese man, but he has so much power and authority in him. Um, charismatic and didn't really care about race or color or religion. He was open and, and accepting to everyone. He became a successful businessman in Liberia and built a restaurant on their land. It was only open on Sunday and very popular with foreigners. Salwa remembers the American ambassador, the German consulate, and UN diplomats would regularly visit to enjoy her dad's Mediterranean cooking, and they would bring their families. Some of her favorite childhood memories involve playing with kids from all over the world. We'd go to the playground on the merry-go-round, and I would pretend my name would be Jennifer for the day, right? And I would change my accent to an American accent. Me and my sister, my sister was Maxine, and I was Jennifer, and my brother was John and Jonathan, my other brother, and we would just play house. It was just beautiful. Liberia is on the Atlantic coast of Africa, nestled between the countries of Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Cote d'Ivoire, also known as the Ivory Coast. The country's origins are rooted in the United States in the early 1800s. The American Colonization Society, or ACS, was formed with the goal to return freed slaves to Africa. The group included prominent politicians, slaveholders, and abolitionists who believed free blacks and whites could not coexist equally in the U.S. The ACS established an outpost on the west coast of Africa. 25 years later, 
1847, it became the nation of Liberia. More than 15,000 freed and freeborn African-Americans and Afro-Caribbeans relocated there and their descendants became known as Americo-Liberians. This elite group was only a very small percentage of the population, but controlled the country's politics and economy. The indigenous tribes were looked down upon and denied citizenship until the early 20th century. Salwa can trace her roots back to the Americo-Liberians. She believes her great-grandfather was a descendant of one of the settlers. And this influence can be seen in later generations. For example, her mom, Martha Annette, has an American name. In 1980, there was a military coup that ended the Americo-Liberians' monopoly of power. The first time I was aware that the country was going to go down was I was three years old, 1980. I vividly remember there was a coup and the soldiers came to our compound and they lined us all up. The soldiers beat her father and stole some of their property. The country was just beginning to endure decades of conflict. Uh, 1988 towards 1989, we started hearing um, way up in the, I think, northeast that some turmoil was going on in one of the counties that, that bordered Ivory Coast. That turmoil was spearheaded by a self-appointed leader and former cabinet member, Charles Taylor, who wanted to overthrow the Liberian government. His dad was an Americo-Liberian and his mom was indigenous. Taylor was accused of embezzling funds and fled to the U.S., only to return years later with a small rebel army. On Christmas Eve of 1989, they attacked from Cote d'Ivoire on Liberia's northern border. Liberia's civil war had officially begun. I was afraid that we're all going to die. I was afraid for my parents, mostly. My dad being Lebanese, I knew that we would be a target. They would come and they would kidnap us and, and steal. I, I, I just knew something bad was going to happen. Unfortunately, Salwa's instincts were right. As the civil war intensified and different factions fought for control, thousands of people were forced to leave their homes, including the Mortadas, who were thrust into years of instability. At one point, they didn't see their father for about nine months. So it was just my mother, my two brothers, and my sister just living in this shack um, for that whole time. And during that time, I was selling whatever I could find. I was, you know, 13 maybe. Their school had shut down, so Salwa and her older siblings worked to support the family. This included her 17-year-old sister, Lila. One rainy day... Salwa walked her to the taxi depot. They held on to the umbrella and each other. I said goodbye to her. I'll see you later. Come back. And that was the last time I saw her. When Lila hadn't returned after a couple days, her parents got worried and started to look for her. A family friend and 10-year-old boy and former soldier named Otis went to the capital city of Monrovia to investigate. It wasn't long before he learned the horrible truth. Rebels from a faction in Monrovia had kidnapped many women, most of whom were light-skinned or biracial. One of them was Lila. She was raped and shot in the head. Her body was dumped in a river near the rebels' base. Otis returned to Mount Barclay, 
with the tragic news. We cried and we cried and we went in the street and we wailed and everybody was devastated. What is sort of the impact of losing a sibling like that in such a traumatic way? Um, I feel like, I feel anger still. And I know it's not a good thing, I know. She never got to live the life. She never got to finish high school. She never got to go to college, have a, have a child, share my children with me, do sisterly things. It still, um, it affects me today. Salwa's parents were really worried the same thing could happen to her. Like her sister, Salwa's skin is light brown and her hair is curly. So they sent her to live with her aunt in Cote d'Ivoire. My life was upside down. I didn't understand what was happening. All I knew was I wanted to go back to school. I just put all those memories in a box and I locked it up. But Salwa couldn't go to school in Cote d'Ivoire because she didn't speak French. She thought Ghana would be a better fit. It's an English-speaking country, less expensive, and some of her cousins live there. So with the 700 U.S. dollars her dad had given her, Salwa continued her journey. Civil war in Liberia continued until 2003. Civilians suffered widespread human rights violations, including mass killings, torture, rape and sexual violence, the forced recruitment of child soldiers, looting of the national economy, and the destruction of cultural property. During the 14-year conflict, an estimated 250,000 people lost their lives. Salwa was one of about 800,000 Liberians who fled. It then dawned on me like, hey, you're going to be in this country by yourself, fending for yourself for the next few years. Coming up, Salwa begins a new life in Ghana, but she's still carrying the scars of war. You're listening to The Colorado Dream. The Colorado Dream, Newcomers Welcome, is supported by Ames Community College. Positioning learners to meet current and future workforce needs in Northern Colorado for more than 50 years. Info at ames.edu. Salwa had just turned 14 when she ended up in Ghana in September of 1991. She lived with her three cousins who had been displaced too. They shared a small room and barely had enough money to survive. We had to find food, which mostly consisted of, you know, side street food for a few CDs, they call the money, peanuts, um, mostly like fried bread. Water they sold in a little plastic bag on the side of the street, we'll, we'll do that. Oh, gosh. Um, barely nothing all day long. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. By leaving Liberia and going to Ghana, Salwa became one of the tens of millions of forcibly displaced people worldwide. According to international law, she was a refugee. It means someone who is fleeing their country because they are either being persecuted or have a well-founded fear of persecution because of their identity, their race, their religion, their social group, their political opinion, or membership in a social group. 
S.A. Warkey is the director of the Human Services Initiative at the Migration Policy Institute. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees has adopted three solutions that offer refugees their best chance to live full and successful lives. Local integration into the community they fled to, return to their home, or be resettled in a new country. But Warkey says only a very, very small percentage are able to take advantage of any of these. Most refugees live between camps and nearby cities, going back and forth over their lifetimes. They might have come as children, they grow older, they get married, they have children of their own. They um, sometimes create schools or uh, micro businesses with whatever they're able to get their hands on at the camps. So it's um, really a shame reflecting on the global community that we're not better able to address the safety needs of people who've been displaced. Salwa was one of the fortunate ones. Through a bit of luck and a lot of grit, she was able to integrate into life in Ghana. First, Salwa enrolled as a 10th grade day student at a boarding school in Ghana. When one of her teachers realized Salwa couldn't afford to buy books and school supplies, she helped raise about 500 US dollars to buy Salwa everything she needed. She also got free board and tuition. Then her 20-year-old cousin introduced her to a church where they became close with the pastor and his wife. The couple fed them and gave them money. I just couldn't believe the goodness that God has shown me through people that I didn't know. And that's how my life changed in Ghana. Despite all the acts of kindness in Salwa's life, she missed home. She listened to news reports about the ongoing civil war and worried about her family. In all her time away, she'd only received one letter from them. I would have dreams that, you know, I was in the war, like PTSD type of thing. I would wake up screaming in the middle of the night, even in the boarding school. After Salwa graduated high school, she decided it was time to return home to Liberia. One of her church friends arranged for her to travel on a cargo ship transporting refugees. The three-day voyage took seven days due to mechanical problems. It was treacherous. There were raging storms. Everyone was sick and vomiting. Salwa thought she was going to die. Then one early morning, after a week on the Atlantic, she finally saw the horizon. It was a glorious day, and I saw Liberia for the first time. It was December 1995. Salwa was 18. And I just got on my knees and I prayed and I just cried. I was like, God, after all these years, I'm home. First, she looked for her family. In the letter she'd received in Ghana, her dad wrote that he'd purchased land on a beach in Monrovia. She got in the taxi and told the driver where to go. I was just wide-eyed, just in awe. But after all those years, as we drove through the city, there were still dead bodies. You know, it, it started to dawn on me that I'm entering a war zone again, even though people have managed to move on. But it was still an active war zone. As they got closer, Salwa saw a sign that read Mortada's Beach. Her heart started pounding as the driver headed towards the ocean. When the taxi parked, Salwa saw coconut trees, 
beautiful flowers and a black woman and white man on the porch. It just plays in slow motion in my head. And I see this short lady just running. And she's running and running. Salwa started running too. And she and her parents embraced for the first time in four years. Her brothers showed up later. And finally, the family was reunited. Yeah, it was just all a lot to take in. And I spent the next few weeks just in a very unsure state of mind. So what am I going to do now? I'm here. The fighting died down in 1997. And even though it was a temporary lull between wars, life slowly got back to normal. Salwa enrolled in computer school and got accepted into the University of Liberia. She also started working for a doctor. Life was moving forward, but Salwa wanted more. I would sit on the beach and just daydream again about coming to America. Her dream was to attend medical school in the United States, and she was determined to make that happen. Through her job and her dad's restaurant, she started to make connections with prominent Americans. When she was denied a visa the first time, she came up with a new plan. She reached out to her mom's siblings in America. She called her aunt in New York City and faxed a letter to her uncle in Colorado asking for help. And he said, dear Uncle Urias, I'm Selva Mutata, you know, your niece, and the introduction went on. Her uncle Urias Potter moved to Texas in 1982. Ten years later, he relocated to Aurora, Colorado, where his wife's relatives lived. He says they were some of the first Liberians to live in the state. Urias was thrilled to receive Salwa's letter. That's the part that captivated my attention. The part with a vision, you know, saying to me, when I do come to the United States, I am going to work and pursue a career, and I'm going to become a doctor. Urias followed her detailed instructions and faxed back a letter that included his proof of income, other legal documents, and his desire for her to come to Aurora. He and his sister Ayo Potter in New York City both vouched for Salwa and confirmed they could house her. Salwa took the letter to the U.S. Embassy. It took a couple months and I finally got approved and then came the journey. There were lots of tears when her family took her to the airport. She had a knot in her stomach, a feeling similar to when she left home after her sister died. But they all knew her move to America would open doors for the whole family. That was part of the American dream, that if one person was able to break free of the circle of poverty and of war and of, you know, everything else that came along with being in the war, this hope is like a well of hope that you experience when you get that stamp in your passport that says you can leave. Everybody else holds on to it because you're the conduit. Saul boarded the plane and made the long journey to JFK International Airport in New York City. She decided to stay with her aunt Ayo and six cousins in Queens first, but she didn't like it there. The city was too big, too crowded, and she felt unsafe. She visited her uncle Urias in Aurora, where the city was smaller and slower paced. It was fall, and the leaves were turning shades of orange, yellow, and red. I mean, it was just beautiful. 
And that reminded me so much of Ghana with the overlapping trees on the street, you know, like that. And I thought, okay, this is going to be my home. And it was. In 1999, at the age of 21, she moved to Aurora, where about one in six residents were foreign-born. Over 2,000 of them were from Africa. On the next episode of the Colorado Dream, Newcomers Welcome, Aurora decides to lay out the welcome map and local leaders devise a plan for their success and the city's too. It's in our best interest as a city, you know, to start building this strong foundation because the next generation will benefit from all this, what we're doing right now. That's next time on episode two, Integration. The Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome is a production from KUNC. It was written and reported by me, Stephanie Daniel. Editing by Johanna Zorn. Fact-checking by Kat Jaffe, with additional help from Adam Reyes. This season's theme song was composed by Jason Patton, who also sound designed and mixed the episode. Additional music was composed by Matthew Simonson. Ashley Jeffcoat is the digital editor. Special thanks to Chandra Thomas-Whitfield, Robert Legia, Kyle Cunningham, and Kim Race. Sean Corcoran is KUNC's Executive News Director. Tammy Turwell is KUNC's President and CEO. To learn more about Salwa Mortada Bamba and the city of Aurora, and to see photos of the people included in this episode and other extras, go to KUNC.org slash Colorado Dream, or check out the show notes for a link. That was the first episode of the new season of The Colorado Dream. To listen to the rest of Season 2, Newcomers Welcome, go to KUNC.org or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for this special episode of Colorado Edition. You can catch the Colorado Edition podcast every Friday. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in the show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. Thank you for spending some time with KUNC's Colorado Edition. See you on Friday.